Will you tell us when we're la, la, live? La, 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 la. Red leather, la. yellow leather. Really? Yeah. Wait, we're live? <laughs> oh. <laughs> so, oh, Jesus. <laughs> You're gonna start on us, not on the slide. I don't no, no, care. No. no, no. You're saying you're gonna. I'm gonna just say welcome, and then you're gonna go to the slides. Yeah, yeah. that's nice. All right. Welcome everybody. Um, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Sylvie. Hi, Savage. Hi, Kenzie. How are Hello. you? Hello. Good. How are you? Um, great. Well, <laughs> we are going to be doing a live episode. Very live. So live. Extremely live. <laughs> Extremely lively. Yeah, honestly. Lively. The Good conversation group. was starting before we even turned this on today. We, we all just said, just hold, hold your horses. Yeah. We're going to get to it. So this month, we are doing a webinar basically every day every single business day at least. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's a palooza. It's a full-on palooza. Yeah. Uh, you don't see paloozas every day. You have don't. you seen a palooza recently? I don't think I have. Yeah, me either. What's so, the last palooza you went to? I've never been to one. <laughs> <laughs> Lala? I think it was a Lala. Um, but um, okay, so um, we are doing webinar palooza. We're doing a webinar every day. We're showing and using our new product, our new feature, Wistia Live. I'm so excited for you to check it out. If you're in there in the chat, feel free to chat it up. Um, if we have time, we'll get to questions at the end of this. Um, but you're in the live thing. We're doing the live thing. We're using the live thing. Say live again. Live. <laughs> <laughs> so today, we're here with Kinsey Tropak, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, Kinsey's the head of community-led uh, growth events. Is that right? That's I right. Did it. I did At it. HubSpot. At HubSpot. So we're going to be talking about that and, and what Kinsey's experience is and how to put on a great event and how to avoid making a terrible event, <laughs> if you're up for that. Always. Great. <laughs> but we always start the show by talking about what has us talking too loud. And there was a lot of things we literally had to stop ourselves from discussing. We were riffing on a lot. Yeah, we're going a little wild um, before the show started today. So Sylvie, what has you talking too loud? What has me talking too loud? Well, I'm moving, okay? Okay. I'm moving, and uh, what has me talking too loud? You're not moving out of Brooklyn. That was my question Absolutely not. No way. (laughs) You know who I am. It's too much of your identity. Come on. Yeah. Uh, Maybe one day. But... I am talking too loud about moving companies because the quotes I'm getting are so wildly disparate. And I'm like, are you just 10 times better? And that's why you're quoting mm-hmm. me more? Mm-hmm. Or is this a racket? I mean, as someone who's moved a few times the yeah. last couple of years, some of, there is some difference. There, there is, is some, some difference. difference. There is some difference. In like the care of actually handling there objects. Is, there can be difference of care. Mm-hmm. Um, difference of care. There can be... <laughs> Um, I think difference of cleanliness is uh-huh. another one. Uh-huh. Um, I want clean. You want clean. I want clean. And then it's just like, do you want them to help you pack or not? No. That I feel like I'm going to do. I don't know how you guys feel, but I like to pack. Like I, to pack. I, li- yep. I like to like label the boxes and you like. You enjoy that. Yes, because then I'm like, it's really here. It's really with me. Okay. I like to ignore that and just like to have someone else do it for me and then just show up and with all these boxes, I have no idea what's in But then it's, you just open a box and it, there could be literal trash in there because they just put everything in the box. Yeah, yeah. They don't have any order. That's true. I mean, but in particular, I think getting someone to help you pack your kitchen is the one thing I think that is like all the the glasses and all the, I mean, it can, can, I've had a situation where it's a little extreme, like every fork by itself. Mm. was wrapped in paper you don't need to do that yeah. this is just all you know if you're listening out there this is a real this is a, that's a little too much <laughs> but i do think 
Take all your silverware, put it in one piece of paper, wrap yes. it up. That's right? what I do. Throw it in a box. That's what but I do. But all the other glass and stuff, it's so nice not to have to worry about that. You're right, because I do like individually wrap my glasses. Yes. In newspaper. Yeah. And then wash them. Yeah. So that that's what has me talking to you, lad. What about you, Savage? Uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so I talked before on the show about how I went to a 40th birthday. You did. Which is canoe camping, which was very fun. I went to another 40th birthday this weekend. Two okay. people turned 40. And we did a fun run. Uh-oh. And basically their, their vision was two of my friends who both love running. And their vision <laughs> was that everyone would run, get to choose. Do you want to run a 5K or do you want to run a 10K or a half marathon? And you put in what your mile time is into a spreadsheet. And then they try to get everyone to finish at the same moment. Oh, I am really having a hard time understanding how that's fun. I, I am not someone who runs for enjoyment okay. quite ever. Like the turkey You're not trot, who does. Yeah. the turkey trot once a year, okay. I will run. That's a good, begrudgingly. Yes. Yeah. That's and a with good a run, coffee. Though. Well, the idea was that you <laughs> so have, it's a walk <laughs> that you have all your friends like hand in hand, like crossing the finish line okay, together. That's, that's a sweet moment. And there was, like a, there was like a kid's like fun run. That's like half a mile. And that's supposed to be time. Okay. To that's, that's nice. Um, that is nice. I ran the 10 K. Pretty cool. Of course he did. Yeah. Um, and I haven't really been training enough. So while it was happening, I was feeling amazing. I was like, oh, yeah, I'm crushing this thing. <laughs> um, and then <laughs> I'm not feeling amazing now. I am. We're recovering. I am. We are in recovery mode. Yes. Okay. Deep in recovery mode. And sadly, I got about halfway through and I was expecting um, my buddy Andrew, actually, who is a TTL listener. He's, oh. he's a loud talker. Hey, Andrew. Um, he's out there. <laughs> and um, I was waiting to see him at my halfway mark because he was doing a longer thing. And he didn't, and he wasn't there. And it was like, you know, there was like people, like, it's like I guess the race was harder for everyone than like we, uh, you know, would yeah. would have uh, would have thought with very little training going into it. Um, and so, you know, I, it's, it was, what am I saying? It was a delight. It but was I'm a very, delight. But I'm very sore. Got but what it. about you, Kinsey? What's got you talking to that? <laughs> There's two things. Okay. One less serious, Love is Blind season three. Okay. Oh, Are you familiar? The first four episodes just came out on Wednesday. It is truly spectacular reality television. This is like people who can't see each other? Right. That's correct. So okay. I think it's 10 or 12 men all, and are women. They, are they all blind? <laughs> They're not I, I, know, I don't know. I don't know. I, I have no, no idea. <laughs> I'm just checking. The, I'm just the checking. people are not blind, okay. but the idea is like, mm. can you fall in love with someone without seeing them first? Okay. So they're essentially in these pods, like lined up across from each other with a wall in between. So you can hear the person, but you can't see them. Wow. And how long do they like get to know each other like this? I've done extensive research on this and yeah. I think it's about 10 days. Okay. Is, okay. Well, let me know in the chat if you know any more information. Um, but I think it's about 10 days. 10 days and it can end in a marriage proposal. Yes. It should. It should. Like that's the, the goal. goal. Yeah. yeah. So the you whole thing is. This? First season, not the second. Okay. You got to pick it up with season three. I will. It's already better than season two. Okay. I heard season two was an eh. Season was okay. one, I was devoted. I season three is reminiscent of season one. Okay. There's some great couples already. Wonderful. Lots of drama. Yes. Like I think, you know, the contestants have caught on mm. to the popularity. So happens. they're they're yeah. giving more and I'm yeah. here for it. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I'm so here for the next four episodes drop this Wednesday and I will be clearing my calendar. Do you also work for Love is Blonde? <laughs> <laughs> I'm just no. a brand ambassador. Oh, okay. No, I mean I just I really enjoy I really enjoy the show. I think okay. it's great. Okay. My friends and I talk about it, you know. 
That's great. It's great. Yeah, so it's that, fun. you know, yeah. on a more serious note, I'm very, I'm talking a lot about the upcoming state election mm. in Massachusetts, November 8th. Yep. Um, I think it's really important to make sure that your voice is heard. And I think people forget that the representatives that we have in office are, they only reflect the people that are actually going out to vote. And mm. at the Hell state yeah. level, they handle parks and recs, library, your education. Get out and vote. The last day to register is this Saturday. So um, in mass, at least. But I love a public service yes, message. That's, you really do. I'm really so here I'm for not that. sure what that says about me. Politics, love is blind, but. That's good. Um, okay. Yeah. Those are the things. That's great. I thought when you were saying a light note and a serious note, you're going to say love is blind and a serious note is going to be House of Dragon. But I, but, <laughs> I you don't, know, going out and voting also. I important. don't watch House of Dragon. You should. It's great. Okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so you're the head of. Uh, community-led growth events at HubSpot. You yep. put on lots of different types of events. I'm just getting really serious now. You put on lots <laughs> I'm here of for it. You put, Switch on, gears. you put on lots of different types of events, uh, both in person and virtual. What yep. what makes a great live event? Like, what do you need to do to make something that is like worth? And also, what's when should something be live? How do you think about those two things? What makes something great, and when should it be live? It's a great question. I think. There's two components I think about for events in general is one, the content and what you're actually providing, what the value add is, what people are expecting to get from the event and the content. The other is audience. And I think what makes an event really great is when you walk away and you feel like you've made a great connection or you feel like you've talked to other people like you, right? So if we're running an event for developers and it's all marketers in the room, they're not gonna understand the content necessarily or it won't be as applicable to them. And they're likely not going to interact with people the way that we intend them to. So I think about it that way. I also think that in a post COVID world, we've gotten really black and white about what live means and there's only two options. And I think now in a hybrid world, you can kind of blend the two and figure out what works for your audience, right? So we run a ton of global events. If I'm running an event for our solutions partners and I want different global perspectives, but I'm running an event at 7 p.m., my colleagues in Dublin can't shouldn't be online at that hour, right? Yeah, That's totally. 1 a.m., mm -hmm. 2 a.m. That's just so rude. It's, it's just rude. It's just rude, yeah. Just you know? Rude. Come on. They're sleepy. It's not It's not a great experience. And they're probably not going to be their best selves as speakers. So yeah. They're I watching might, House of Dragon. They're not. They're not or, tuning or into Or hopefully the sleeping. Maybe sleeping, but, you know. <laughs> they could be. Yeah. But I would rather have like a quick intro from them that might be pre-recorded that includes um, them so that they feel like they're involved in the event, but we have people in different time zones that are able to really deliver that content um, and talk to our audience. And then when something is like, when when should something be like live versus pre-recorded? Yeah, it's a good question. I think for live, I think about content that might be difficult to deliver or sensitive. The topic is really polarizing. Um, being able to talk through that live and hear different perspectives is an important component of it. I also think if something's really technical and you're walking through something, you want people to have the opportunity to ask questions, those tend to go well for live events, live content. And you're saying like the first one where it's controversial, is that because like you're going to get more people to come to it because it's live and they're like waiting to hear of like the details or is that because you can 
you can flesh out more of the details and like and answer people's questions in real time versus like having it be pre-recorded and not know how the audience is responding. Right. It's the latter. I think having that real-time feedback is really important, especially too, because a lot of times when we're eliciting feedback in the B2B world, we're going to people that we are familiar with that we know are going to give us good feedback, not necessarily good in a positive way, but we know like we thorough. Know, thorough. We know that they're going to give us their point of view. But that may not be representative of your entire customer base or the masses. And so being able to get that in real time, I think, allows you to understand the group better. I will say that also could have other implications, right? Like if it's really negative and things are going off in the chat, that does create more, not work, but just more time for us to monitor and address those things um, on kind of the back end. But I think those things are still important in that every time you're hosting an event, it doesn't have to necessarily be positive or the good things. It also could be used to flesh out the things that aren't as clear or that you want to do better in. That's interesting. That hadn't I hadn't really thought about it as, you know, let's do an event on something that we know is will require more like Q&A and feedback in the moment. Yep. Um, but that makes sense to me. That if well, you know didn't that, you do your that. last all hands meeting? Wasn't that live? Well, we always are all hands meetings internally live. Right. Yeah, yeah. So do they feel, you must experience that to an extent, right? Where you're almost. Yeah, no, but we the way we structure that internally is like we do, we do the meetings on a Thursday. And then what I've learned over time is that there's going to be questions that some people have that they can just go ask like their team, their manager, mm -hmm. um, the person they report to. And then we do Q&A the day after. Mm -hmm. And the reason we do it like that is so that like you have a time, you have a chance to get, see if you get your questions answered. Right. But then by the time we're doing the Q&A, we know that people haven't gotten those questions answered. Sure. So it's like, because it, when we used to have the questions at the same time, um, we would, some people are really good in that moment. And they're just like asking right out, right out of the gate. But the truth is, lots of times you need you need time to process. Mm -hmm. So we purposely like separated them. That makes sense. But I but I do think it is interesting to think about because I think a lot of people would think like I shouldn't go live with a controversial topic. I mean, there's definitely risks. Yeah. Um, but I also think that, and when I say controversial, I just mean in terms of like content that may not necessarily land the right way or something new and it's a little bit riskier. It's like you're testing something with your partners. Absolutely. And, you, and you're not sure how they're going to handle this. And you are, have flexibility maybe and like you might change your plans based sure. on what they say, they're saying. Absolutely. That makes perfect sense. That does make yeah. a lot of sense. Um, it lends itself to like the authenticity yeah. too of live, which is something that I think about a lot in terms of live content. I yes. can see like people out there who haven't really dipped their toe into the live content world, um, they have a lot of anxiety. Like I think they see the value of authenticity, but have a lot of anxiety around making mistakes. So like, do you have advice for folks who haven't yet like dove, 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 dive, dive, dove, dove into that world? <laughs> That's a great like question. <laughs> We will get to the bottom of how to pronounce the yeah. past tense of die. Mm. Um, I think what I always tell my team and really anyone that runs events or live content is just expect that something's going to go wrong. And if you're afraid of making a mistake, you're never going to get into events because they just happen. Um, I was telling you earlier, the first time I ran an event in Los Angeles, it was an in-person prospecting event. I had chose this beautiful outdoor space at this iconic cafe. I was so excited it was going to be outside. And it downpoured. 
the day of. I mean, it everything, the tables were soaked, the ground was wet, there was no space to move inside. Um, I mean, there had to be tarps on all of the electrical equipment. It was not my best showing. Um, but what I will say is we got really great feedback about the aut authenticity. We shortened the event. We put all of the most important content up first. Mm. And then we were able to work out with the restaurant and cafe where we could do smaller like networking conversations inside and turn something that could have been really disastrous or where we would have had to cancel the event and lose money into something pretty good. Um, on the other side, I've had speakers that drop out last minute. I think the importance is having a contingency plan and knowing what that looks like. I mean, even inbound uh, a couple weeks ago, usually I would put together a contingency plan that's like, what happens if I get sick? What happens if I can't be there? This year it was, okay, what happens if I get sick and my first backup gets sick? Who steps in then? How do we distribute ownership of the, ex the executional pieces that have to happen? Who needs to know that? Is it leadership? When do we loop them in? What constitutes an emergency at an event that big where I had a very small piece of it? Um, but even then, knowing the implications and who needs to know what and preparing is really the best way to combat any of those uh, potential roadblocks. Yeah, it reminds me of, um, I mean, I feel like the lesson there of, you know, there's opportunity and mistakes basically yep. and planning for them and having a good contingency plan. But I remember when we did, um, we used to do this conference with CFS and the first one we did, we had this cool, we had this idea we were really excited about, which we're going to have food trucks for all the lunch instead of having, we was at a hotel instead of using the food at the hotel. Sure. And we're like, oh, we're going to show them the coolest food. It's going to be so awesome. <laughs> blah, blah. Well, of course, what ended up happening is like they were late. Yep. And it started pouring. And so everyone was going to have to walk outside in the rain and completely organically, the team, like the Wistians, just like found umbrellas and like held them up so people could walk underneath them and like stay dry to get to the, to the food trucks. And when we were doing all the surveys after, it's like, you know, the favorite moment that people had at the event was that moment. Right. Standing under the umbrellas. Yeah. And Make it them was feel like, special. Yeah. yeah. And it was funny because, of course, we spent a lot of time on the content, a lot of time on all these other things. Sure. But that moment was, the. it's like how you handle it, right, is like what matters. Yep. And being able to be, I think, have a plan to be confident enough in the moment that you can handle it well is like the difference, right? Sure. And it also, too, becomes muscle memory. Mm -hmm. The more you do it, the more you know what to do instinctively. But I do think some of the events that I've run that you could look back and say were the most disastrous or the biggest problems popped up ended up getting great feedback because people are human and they remember that mistakes happen, uh, which is something that I always try to remember and tell my team or other people that we're working with that sometimes there's so much that's out of your control. You can only do what's in your control, which is planning for it, creating a contingency plan, and knowing how to communicate that. Yeah. I mean, I feel like that is like one of the biggest lessons of making content in general. Absolutely. It's just like we're human beings. We make mistakes. Sometimes we missay words. That's fine. Right. In fact, if you never do that, it feels too professional yeah. and it can feel off. Right. Well, then you lose the authenticity of it. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, let's just, you're also, You've been doing all different sorts of events. What do you think now? Like, where are we with COVID? Like, are we completely back to normal? Are some people never going to go back to events in person? Do you think everyone, like, how do you all think about that strategically? Like, when you're planning out, should this be in person or should this be hybrid or should this be virtual? Like, how do you think about it? It's a really good question. Um, I will say some of the bigger events above my pay grade on how we mm -hmm. decide those things. I, well, how would you decide them? 
It's a good question. I think Savage with the heat. I know. Well, it depends heat. on who's going, who you want to attend. Yeah. Right? Like uh, when we used to do Grow With HubSpot events, it was very local. Mm. So if I was going That's to- That's like with the user groups? Um, it used to be, it was called Grow With HubSpot and it was basically a sales prospecting event series where okay. it was an opportunity for our sales team and our CSMs to be able to engage with local businesses, yeah. kind of you know field marketing. Um, but if we were going to a city that was- still locked down or there were a lot of restrictions in place probably makes sense to do something that's virtual. I also think that virtual has eliminated that location bias mm -hmm. or I would say has given the opportunity to connect with people internationally. So at Inbound this year, we did a meetup for our solutions partners and it was a global meetup where anyone who was a solutions partner could tell us what region they were from, what they were hoping to learn about. And then we connected them with someone else from a different region who was trying to connect about the same thing. And it was a great opportunity, one, for them to connect in a way they never would have before. But two, there was no fear of competition, right? Like they weren't thinking about how to talk to the same businesses or uh, what problems that they faced that they might not want someone else to hear about. But they were able to reframe it and think about, okay, how can we relate in that way? Um, so I think those are some of the things. I also think that with a lot of the series-based programming that we run where it's week over week, we're trying to get a wide variety of folks joining with different backgrounds, different mm -hmm. industries. Um, and so the more targeted you get, the more in person, uh, the less opportunity there is. The less in some ways. Okay. Because like even putting the, the, you might find 10 people or 50 people that all, you know, are in some industry. And yep. if you do it in person, you guarantee you can't get them. And if you do it online, you can mm, get them all. Sure. Yeah. That's it's it. not always that way. Yeah. But I think for some of the events that my team is running on a smaller scale, yeah. it definitely presents more opportunity than if we were planning something in person. Interesting. Yeah. For... So uh, you had mentioned early on some of the benefits that are like inherent to live. You said like connectivity. Obviously, you just talked about like global, right? Global events where you can you can talk to a room full of people who are in very different locations. Are there other just like thinking about how you guys are going live for mm. the first time? Are there other benefits that like that you've seen in in the events that you've run, you know, for the last several years, like virtual, I'm thinking specifically virtual live events. Yeah, it's a great question. We have started to pilot uh, a new series where we're getting together a smaller group of customers who either have uh, the same interests or maybe they're from the same industry and trying to figure out new ways to connect them. I think Community-led growth is a new, it's a new like name, but it's not a new concept. And the way that we think about it at HubSpot is we've moved from this go-to-market of, okay, trust us as your sales team, trust yourself with inbound marketing, mm. trust your team with product-led growth, and now it's trust each other with community-led growth. Um, and so I'm going a little bit around, but <laughs> Sylvie, when you were talking about your moving company and all these disparate quotes and pricings, my first thought is, well, what do your friends use? Mm -hmm. What have their experiences been? Um, 
that's how I think about it. And so we're trying to emulate some of those things with the events that we're running to get like-minded people together and be able to knowledge share and to get ideas out there um, versus, you know, I can deliver a pretty stagnant 30-minute webinar on different content or how to set up a workflow in HubSpot. But it's way more interesting if we have a customer share how they do it um, and that how totally they deliver whatever it is through their workflow that other customers can look at, emulate, ideate, improve on all that. Um, it's, it's a more interesting conversation. How do you know if people can handle being alive? When do you mean speakers? I mean, like, yeah, you're putting together an event mm. and you're going to be doing just a, a virtual event or with tons of different people. It's online and it can be stressful to go live. How do you know if someone on your team can do it or a partner can do it? Or do you think about that or do you just like trust that it's going to work? How do you think about that? It's a good question. I, I tend to think that people, uh, they don't trust themselves as much as they should. I think that the ability to kind of go live and speak is definitely something that you work on over time. So I try to work with speakers that I have seen or that I know are really dynamic. Um, and for newer speakers, I will set up time and try to coach them on a more one-to-one -one basis, run a couple of dry runs. And I always tell them to think about it, especially when you're virtual, as being your most like authentic reality TV self. Like you want to be yourself, but you want to be the most gregarious, charming person, you know, that you can be because if not, it does come off a little monotone hmm. or that you're reading from a script. And that's not the intention. Right. Um, but I think. It's like imagine you're on Love is Blind. Imagine I'm on Love is Blind. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's yeah. kind of how it is. And yeah. that's what I tell people is you don't want to pretend or be something that you're not. But you have the information, you're a speaker for a reason, you're really knowledgeable in this area, just talk like you're talking to a friend and be vocal about it. Um, that's kind of how I think about it. And I also try to have a mix of always making sure that we have a diverse slate of speakers um, so that different perspectives are shared. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. I think like also just thinking about webinar palooza, right? Like you have so many different types of events that are coming mm -hmm. down the pike. Um, AMAs, like fun game shows, talking too loud live. Right. And we talked about this also a little bit, but I'm wondering like, do you have a favorite type of event for live? Like, is it the AMA? Is it the, you know, the doing something that, like you mentioned, the community um, share? Like, is there something that like invigorates you differently? I really, I'm a big fan of the fireside chat or AMA that tends to be a more intimate conversation with a small group of people. I think if it gives you access to a speaker in a way that other events typically don't, mm -hmm. but I do really like those one-to-one -one networking sessions, um, especially just being able to meet people that I wouldn't in the wild, in the wild, <laughs> um, I think is... Those are ones that I'm especially partial to, but I also think that there's a lot of value in the more traditional educational types of content, whether that's a webinar. Um, I think it just kind of depends on what your audience is looking for and what the goal is. If it tends to be super tactical, I don't think that you need to have, not fluff at the beginning, but more of that thought leadership. I think you can get straight into the content and be really tactical about it versus a fireside chat. You want to get to know the person. You want to understand how their brain thinks, how they think about business or whatever topic it is that you're discussing. So it can be a little bit more free-flowing. Yeah, 
That definitely oh. makes sense. Sorry. Ooh. Don't worry about that. A lot of noise. Yeah. Um, <laughs> let's. I want to talk a little bit about panels sure. because I feel like a lot of conferences put panels on. It seems it's like a way to convince a speaker to come because it's like, okay. all right, I, you don't have to prepare a talk. Like you can just show up, and if you're busy, people feel like that's like mm. that can that's convinced me before to okay. go do things. Um, but they also can be horrible. Right, like you can have one person who's dominating the whole thing. People don't really have rapport with each other, and I'm seeing them go well. And I'm just wondering, like, because a lot, I feel like a lot of people. It's one thing to make a talk and repeat it over and over, sure, and feel confident, like I know what this thing is. I'm going live, I'm going in person. The biggest difference is almost like I'm looking at a camera. I'm not getting the same level of response. Right. If I'm looking at chat, maybe I'm getting something, but like I'm I'm not getting a similar response. You give a talk at a conference and there's people and you make a joke and if it works, they laugh and if mm -hmm. it doesn't work, they don't laugh. Sure. But panels I think are interesting because um, you don't have to be as prepared. I've seen people, yeah, I'm just kind of wondering your thoughts. Like how do you, how do you run a great panel? Do you think you can run a great panel? You kind of give me a look like I thought maybe you don't think you can. No, no. I just, I was surprised the way you framed the question yeah. of um, it's, would you first set around being an easier ask yeah. for speakers? I agree with you. I think it often comes down to the moderator and yeah. how well they're, how easy or well they are at being able to moderate the conversation yeah. and really make sure that someone doesn't dominate the conversation. Um, panels that I've run in the past that I think work really well is when you have a dry run beforehand, you have everyone meet. It's very conversational. You get to know each other beforehand. Um, I think what's great about a panel is you often go off on different tangents or conversations that you weren't planning on, which makes it feel way more authentic and organic. But you do need to have a strong moderator who's like, okay, Chris, you've been talking a little too much, <laughs> Sylvie, you know, and obviously don't say that out loud, but being really pointed, okay, Sylvie, this one's for you. How do you think about X? Um, or having someone who jumps in and says, oh, like, that's a really interesting point and kind of moving yeah, across. Yeah, it's a hard thing to do. It is really hard, but I think with the right experience and it also is, you know, who do you have in the group if you have a bunch of people that are incredibly similar you want either have no one talking at all or to everyone talking over each other. So it is trying to find that right balance. Um, and I think it is harder, but I also think that it can be some of the most impactful content. So you're, you're a believer. I'm a believer. Yeah. I like panels too. I know you're like a little. Well, I think it's because I. When, you've had mixed experiences. I've had mixed experiences. There's definitely been conferences. I was going to say, you. I'm like, what panel yeah, has yeah. haunted you? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> I need to know. You. Yeah, well, we are live. I'll name some names. All right. So first. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I've definitely been at panels that have like bored me to tears or yep. the, the people who are on there are saying the same thing over and over and like, or it's, I've been on panels where someone has like moderated it so intensely that it's like, you're Chris, you're going to say, what are you going to say? And I tell them they write it down beforehand when we're doing right. the run through. Got it. And it's like three sentences for each. Oh, make sure you all, this is good stuff. Yeah. And then I'm like, this is, we're not like, we're not having a real conversation. And so it's almost, I mean. I don't know how anyone could be presenting and feel like that engaged too. So it doesn't have life in it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I've been at panels that I feel like are exactly what you're saying. They're actually a conversation. Yep. And I think of, I, that's what I, in my mind, I go to is like, if I can make it be a conversation, that's different sure. than a panel. It's almost like, like we need a different word for panel. Maybe. I mean, it's just. Uh, just saying. Yeah. Just yeah. throwing it out yeah, there. Yeah, just throwing it out there. Like, a, a, what are you, what are you going I don't with? know. Yeah. <laughs> I, I am not sure. A boring panel? No, I didn't know what you're going to go for there. I thought you were going to make a. Like I'm saying, I'm saying, like I think the element that you enjoy, the conversational yeah. element, like panel feels sort of clinical. 
like the word sure. itself. So yeah. maybe there's something that's a little more lively, a little yeah, more I just animated. Think if, you can, if you can get the actual conversation yeah. and you don't, as you're saying, like you don't know where you're going to go exactly, but you have yeah. the right jumping off points. Like you can tell, I think, as sure. an audience member that yeah. it's real. I also think I've tried to reverse engineer the prep a little bit and I'll write the questions based on conversations I've had with each of the panelists. And then I'll get the group together and I'll say, okay, this is what I want to get out of this question. Like, who feels like they can speak mm -hmm. well about this mm -hmm. or has a story to share? Mm -hmm. And often that prep kind of gives me ideas about how the conversation is going to go, but I don't feel the need to write everything out. Mm -hmm. So it's, I think it's, I've definitely seen panels run the other way. And I think sometimes you need to, depending on who the speaker is. Like if it's someone who, sure, they may not want to prepare a talk, but they want to make sure that their talking points are approved or you do have to kind of adhere to that. But if it's a little bit more flexible, I tend to run it that way. Yeah, this actually makes me think of, so there's some amount of production that goes into live, right? Sure. It's not like the three of us sat down and, like there's at this semicircle table. Yeah. At this <laughs> at which we love Chris it's, Levine. Yeah. Who found you. this yeah. um, table. There's some amount of production that goes into live events. Um, sure. Just like there are with panels. What, what are like the things that have to be in place production wise to make a good live event? Like there's the prep that you mentioned. Are there technical things? Do you always work with someone, you know, if you're more on the content side, do you have like a Steve Pedo, like Wistia yeah. does, who's helping us make everything technically sound? It's a good question. Um, I like to work in pairs, and I always recommend that. Um, just in general. Just in general. Yeah, okay. I mean, like, especially for events. You're like a co-pilot. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. I also think, too, that, you know, if you're monitoring the production and the AV and the tech and you're also trying to man the chat and understand what's going on, yeah. it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and so you do need someone who's engaging with the audience and pulling the questions that you want to ask live or that still need to get answered, but you need to figure out, like, Where's the right place to put them? Is it a certain article? Is it a blog post? Is it HubSpot community? Like you need someone manning that, but then you also need someone who's there in case a speaker's Wi-Fi goes out mm -hmm. um, or the platform you're using glitches. Like you need someone to do that. So I recommend working in pairs. <laughs> um, I also think that sometimes those things are just out of your control. But again, like if you can control as much of that, Depending too on the content, if it's something that is that it has to go right or it's really important to share for whatever reason that is, having pre-recorded content as backup is not a bad idea. Only because, you know, if something completely cuts out yeah. um, and you still need to share the messaging and it's important to get it out that day versus recording it later and sharing, um, I think that also works. It's funny when we were doing our launch last week. Yep. Um, I, you know, obviously we prep it and we go through and we have the slides and Brennan and I are figuring out like who owns what and we're doing it. And my favorite feedback from it was like basically, or in the moment, uh, there were people commenting like, "Hey, I thought I was getting a live event, but this looks too good. It's not like is this live? <laughs> sure, it's not. And it was like enough. because of like Steve Petto setting this up, and we did have some like launch videos and stuff we were playing as well. And then we made we had some nice flubs, so it's fine. <laughs> I was yeah. like, no, it's live. <laughs> yes. Um, but it, it it is it is an interesting question to ask yourself, which is like when when I mean I know we started with this, but it is interesting, like when should it be pre-recorded versus live? 
Because I go back to like the energy in live is different and the fact that you could screw it up is part of the fun and how you handle the screw up is part of the fun. Because the truth is like, I think in any event, the audience should want to be there, right? Like they're opting to go for some reason. And um, I feel like I learned that when I started to give talks in person of like, no, most people don't want to watch a boring talk. Right. Like if someone's just like, they're actually rooting for you because the last thing they want to do is sit in a chair and be bored to tears and not be able to get up. Yeah. And it's a funny realization. I And I tell myself the same thing too with like a, something that's online. I'm like, these people want to be here. And so if we have a problem or you pause for a second or you have to fix some glitch, like right. they're, root- they're rooting for you. Sure. They should be rooting for you, um, which gives me more confidence of like, well, if you do screw it up, like it'll be fine. Yes. I think, I think you have to remember that piece of if you do screw it up, it will be okay. I also think that uh, – I have been to events that I thought are live and they're pre-recorded and I find yeah. out later and I'm like, I would have had no idea Yeah, mm. because the speaker is so engaging because yeah. they have someone who's still there. And, you know, the speaker could be there, but just not giving the talk and actually responding in the chat. Yeah. Because again, that is hard to manage both. So I think that you would be surprised sometimes of how the recorded content can land as well. No, I think, I mean, to be clear, I think the recorded content can be amazing too. Sure. Um, like the the Apple launch events now are just all pre-recorded. Okay. Yep. And but they play it to a theater. So because of COVID, they started making these like Got it. hour yep. and a half long things that are perfectly produced, and every transition is you know it's like zooms into a phone and zooms out of a backdrop, but it's like yep. all these crazy things. Um, but the way they're having more energy is like they you sit in the theater and you watch it. Oh, interesting. And then you can ask questions after, yep. but that that part's like not broadcast. So that was kind of interesting. It's like they figured out this is better for them to just make it flawless and get every like little detail across versus, which is still a sh- sh- ton. <laughs> well, I stopped myself. That <laughs> uh, was amazing. A ton. Sh- I was like, we're live. Ton. A ton. Uh, a ton of work. Uh, <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, it's, but it's it's interesting to see that versus the ones that are totally live versus not. And I, it's probably also just worth exploring and trying to figure out works, what works best for you. Absolutely. And what the audience prefers. And two, I think speakers really thrive off of how the audience is responding. So if you're really confident in the content, you know it's going to land well, it probably works in your favor because you have people cheering for you, rooting you on. Um, If it's content that you're not so sure about or you're testing something out and you're quite frankly not sure how it's going to go and you have a negative response, I've also seen that with speakers where it deters naturally because you want the praise and you want things to go well. Who's the best speaker out there right now? Oh, that's a really good question. Who's the best speaker out there? I mean, I have to give it to Brian Halligan. Um, I'm a little biased, mm-hmm. obviously, mm-hmm. but the way he moderated President Barack Obama's chat at Inbound, I just thought was very well done. I think that that's he, hard to do. He it's strikes the slightly balance. intimidating. Just a <laughs> it's very intimidating, yeah. and he strikes the balance well of being able to handle like that executive. political presence and still feel like he's having a conversation with a pal. Mm -hmm. I was very, very impressed by um, his work. So Yeah, that was awesome. I would say he's like the first person that comes to mind. Um, But I've also seen other speakers, I mean, even at the celebrity level, like I think Andy Cohen is a great speaker. Mm -hmm. I think he does a great job of moderating chats with a lot of different types of celebrities. He's pretty. He's very sharp. He's sharp. He's very sharp. I think he does a great job of managing 
big personalities, mm-hmm. um, sometimes contentious conversations. And he has a lot of different types of people on his show. Um, he does watch what happens live, I think, every night at 10 p.m. And there's all sorts of people on there. Like he had Oprah on once. Um, but then he also has the Bravo celebrities. The Bravo so celebs. I think of him as well. Um, cool. There's like the two that come to mind. Yeah. I mean, those are good picks. I was also, it's interesting too, because we're talking about like pivoting a conversation, how you manage the talent or how you manage someone going off script or manage like the gravitas, right? In the case yep. of Barack, we just call him Barack around here. Um, but the- uh, You didn't want to call him Barry? <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Not going to be offensive. Um, but uh, I think that's interesting because there's also, I feel like this other trend that we've definitely, we've seen this in our data actually, that basically since COVID started, people are willing to watch much more long-form content. Like, you know, the viewing of content that's over 30 minutes, over 60 minutes has gone up a lot. And I've talked to a lot of people about why do you think this is? Because it's like in the video world, you know, four years ago, if you said, how do you make great videos? Like, make it as short as possible. Yes. And now it's changed where it's like, yes, the shortest possible stuff is basically on TikTok and Reels and YouTube Shorts, and you're literally one second at a time. But then there's also much more long-form content. And there's a lot of, like, video podcasts that are extremely long form, you know, two hours an episode, three hours an episode. And it's like the opposite almost of like moderating because it's like, instead of me trying to pivot you off of this topic in some given point of time, we're just going to be here for so long Yep, that it's fine. We'll get all the good stuff out. And their strategy is very much like get the three hour thing and then take the clips to mm-hmm. use that to drive the, sure. the, con- the show. They, you know, get that, the clips like spreading and stuff. So, and it's kind of, it's just interesting to see these things happening at, at once. It makes me think a lot about too, if you're trying to decide what type of content to make, like really ask yourself the question, like what's the format of the content? Yep. Absolutely. Like we know what talking too loud is because we do it all the time and it starts with us talking about talking too loud and then we get in the interview and then we close the thing down. <laughs> and, but the helpful thing about it is like you keep, it's like reps and sets on the same things. Well, you, right, you, you were you saying keep, muscle memory. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also there's like many different versions of this. And I think a lot about like, how do you match the content you're trying to make with the people and the message and then get into a format that's repeatable. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a great point. It's it's interesting, the evolution of video and how it has changed. And I find now that people are willing to sit through that long form content, especially if it's a topic that they really care about, they're yeah. invested in, or it's something that they don't know a lot about. Um, but it's interesting because if you had told me that a couple of years ago, I, I would have said you're crazy, yeah. I think. Yeah. It's like the opposite of what we were saying. Right. It was really like, make it as short as possible. And now it's yeah. like, no, if someone's really into something, you can go so deep on that topic. Sure. It's crazy. And actually, a lot of the stuff that performs really well is the extremely long form stuff. Yeah, the yeah. deep dives. One other question I had, if I am a B2B business and I'm about to go hard on my live content, what's like, give me the playlist. What should I be watching ahead of time? What should I be reading? What should I be kind of like helping me get there? Um, I think that there are a lot of companies out there that are doing it well. Um, That, but I would also say too, you have to understand at a base level, what are your technical requirements? Because that will either enhance or limit what you can do. So if you need a platform that's secure or accessibility is a non-negotiable, you want people to do breakout rooms, all that sort of stuff, you have to know that ahead of time. Mm -hmm. Um, I think after that, 
trying to figure out, okay, so what that platform is, what's the content that lends itself best to that? Um, I think podcasts are a great avenue that people often forget about for live content, but I think those are great. Um, I would also say too, there's just, there's so many resources out there. I know at least like on our side, HubSpot Academy has a lot of resources about content, video marketing, um, and kind of just where to start. So I think figuring out one, like what platform, two, what your audience is, three, the type of content that fits those, um, and then finding the right resources is where I would start. Cool. That's good. Steve, we got any questions over there? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> uh, we keep that going. means we covered it all. We yeah, solved the problem. I guess so. I guess so. Um, so what, what do you want to hit, Sylvie? Well, I'm thinking, I'm, I'm also thinking more about um, like flubs, like things, <laughs> things that happen, mistakes, right? And we, we talked a bunch about that. But like, what are some of the best recovery strategies that you've seen? Like, if, if you know, Savage were to like- Dump my water all over the mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which he could easily do. Yeah. It's not, it's not about him. <laughs> um, like, what, what do you look for in like a great recovery? I think just being accountable, as weird as that is, and being uh, very uh, explicit about what happened. If it's, oh, I just spilled my water. Give me one second while we clean this up, whatever that is. Because yeah. a lot of times people don't actually, like you acknowledge what's happening, but sometimes they may not be able to see it, especially right. if you're on Zoom. Um, so I think that works well. Um, I also, too, just in general, making light of it, you know, I think tends to work well with the recovery piece. But in general, like as long as you don't make it worse, it's mm. you're probably okay. <laughs> no, that totally makes sense. And then this is also like nitpicky. And I was asking you before, but like, how do you feel about having, you know, like I have my phone here in case I need to like look at the interview brief and like you have a printout of paper and yeah. Savage just has it all in the noggin. He's not looking at a monitor no, I at all. No, I not look at anything, no. Um, like, do you, do you feel like it changes the vibe if people have like sort of notes around? Do you think like do whatever makes you feel the most comfortable? Where do you fall on, on those lines at a live event? Yeah, I would say you want to do what makes you feel comfortable. I have seen speakers who feel uh, limited by speaker notes and they tend to do better when they talk talk off the cuff or have bullet points or an outline of what they want to discuss. I've also seen speakers who want to make sure that they hit all of their points and that they discuss what they plan to. And so I think speaker notes helps there. I tend to encourage whatever makes you feel most comfortable. Um, I was telling Sylvie, I write all my things out. I rarely look at it, but I like the comfort of knowing that it's there mm -hmm. in case I get mm -hmm. stuck. Um, but it just helps me prepare and think through what are the things that I want to talk about what's important, what's happening in the industry, those sorts of things so that I at least give it thought and then I can come and be a little bit more organic and chat through what's currently in my mind. Well, it seems like that's, I mean, the fact you do that, it's also <laughs> reflected in just the fact that you run all these events and run them so well and have a team that's organized and have your backup plans to your backup plans. <laughs> so that's great. Um, Kinsey, thank you so much for being here with us today. Where can people connect with you that's online on the internet or I guess in person, but we'll go internet. Internet, LinkedIn. Okay. Kinsey Trompack. Um, I am a little active on Twitter, although okay. right. um, I know it's some people are not into Twitter these days, but um, on Twitter, I am Kinsey Lohan. 
Okay. Spelled like Lindsay Lohan. Oh, nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, a little incognito. Right. Yeah. Um, wink, those wink, are the there. Places. Awesome. <laughs> um, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you for having me. And you can find Talking Too Loud if you'd like to listen to other episodes. Wherever you listen to podcasts, just search for Talking Too Loud. We're on YouTube. We're on Spotify. We're also on Wissy.com if you want to subscribe via email, which means you get special updates sometimes. Love those updates. You, so do I. They're very special. <laughs> They're so special. Um, if you have feedback for us, you can email us at ttlpod at wistia.com. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate it. And we'll see you soon, everyone. Bye-bye. Get your wave on. <laughs> Doing it. to This wave? The princess wave. Talking Too Loud is brought to you by Wistia. Hosted by Chris Savage. Produced by me, Sylvie Lubau, along with Adam Day. Executive produced by Wistia Studios. This episode was mixed by Maria Passingham of Edit Audio. Listen to Talking Too Loud wherever you listen to podcasts. And hey, rate and review us wherever you listen. And check out more content from Wistia Studios at wistia.com. <laughs>